0: Like Dylan said, my name's Caleb, Caleb Thompson. I'm the General Director of Campus Fellowship down in Des Moines at Walnut Creek. If you don't know me, um, I just want to introduce myself and my family. Right here. So that's my wife, Lindsay. We've been married seven years tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, that's Elle. She's six months, Bo. He turns two next week. Max, he turns five in a couple months. And this picture over here on the right is Max uh, and Bo in their underwear. And Max is like, dude, dad, will you take a picture of our cute family? And, he's, and I was like, yeah, sure, that's great. So there's, there's my family. <clears throat> so I have an incredibly soft spot, spot in my heart for conferences, fall conferences. Uh, Over the years, God has used the teaching here uh, and the fellowship. This is a great time to connect and talk about the things God is teaching you. Uh, And he's used those things to radically shift my thinking about the things of God, the gospel, the sweetness of the gospel, and how to walk joyfully with the Lord. So I hope that that that's the same thing that's going to happen for for you this, um, this weekend. This year, if you haven't noticed, um, the theme is face-to-face. What do we mean, we mean by face-to-face? What happens when people in the Bible come face-to-face with Jesus Christ? And as you'll see this uh, throughout this weekend, uh, the presence of Jesus and His wisdom, Him prodding and prying uh, people with His truth, changed people greatly. And you might ask the question, well, what does the conversations of Jesus face-to-face with people 2,000 years ago have anything to do with us in this room? And prayerfully, I hope that each and every one of you, as we go through these four characters, that you'll see it has incredible, immense implications in our lives. So if you guys have a Bible... On your phone, you know, you might not be able to see it See it right, right there in the crowd. Or follow up with me on the screen. I'm just going to read the passage, John 3, John 3, verses 1 through 18. John 3, 1 through 18. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we just give you this weekend. And I ask that you would soften our hearts. Help us to be humble people. Help us to be humble people knowing and understanding that wherever we're at in our walk, we are still in complete and utter need of you. God, help us to glean wisdom and action uh, and truth and encouragement um, to do whatever needs to be done to, for us to do whatever you're calling us to do. Whatever application you have for us, give us the courage, give us the strength. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Yo, (laughs) hey, you guys look pretty good. Okay, so tonight we're going to go through this passage under three headings. The insider, so Nicodemus. The message, Jesus has a message for Nicodemus. And then the true insider, Jesus himself. So the insider, Nicodemus, who was Nicodemus? Verse one, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So he's a Pharisee. So this is one of the guys who would uh, be teaching people, Israelites, about how to walk with God, about how to know with God, how to know God. And then it says that he's a ruler of the Jews, probably a part of the Sanhedrin. He was making the rules, making judgments about how Israel should continue to faithfully shift and walk with God differently. So why would a man like Nicodemus seek out this nobody named Jesus? Why would he seek out a nobody named Jesus? I mean, Nicodemus has all the reputation and the religious clout. It's like if Michael Jordan, you know, realized he, was, he, he didn't have all the f- foundational basketball knowledge that he needed. You know, he's not playing basketball anymore, but just imagine he was. And he tweeted out, my five year old son. He's not going to tweet out my five year old son, even if he thinks that Max, he's not five, he's almost five, has this fundamental basketball wisdom that he needs, he, he's not going to do that. He's too proud to do that. He shouldn't do it. He should text me. He should, he should just ask me. But if he's going to ask anybody, he's going to do it under the cover of night, because he's, he's, got something, he's got something to lose asking a five-year-old about basketball wisdom. And Nicodemus, he goes by night because he has a reputation to uphold He's got to project this image that he needs nothing from nobody. Verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher that's come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with with them. So there's obviously something unique, something polarizing, something different about Jesus. But interesting, in the text, this is very early on in Jesus' ministry, You know, the only thing in the book of John that has really happened as far as a sign, other than some of his teaching, is him turning water into wine. So he's got a lot more to show Nicodemus if he's seeking him out for some of these answers. Now, if Nicodemus is seeking out a rogue preacher to teach him about spiritual things, it means I think it means many, many things, but it means at least two things. First, he's lacking something. He's lacking something. In all Nicodemus's religious fame, his decision-making power, his affirmation, he's teaching people about what it looks like to walk with God. He found himself empty, somewhat empty, lacking passion, discontent in his pursuits. And secondly, he thinks that Jesus might have the answers that he's looking for to help him. And I want you to notice something very early on, is that John records Jesus the last time that he says the name Nicodemus is in verse 9. All the way to the end, all the way to verse 21, which we didn't read through, he doesn't talk about Nicodemus. Why does he drop Nicodemus' name so early in the dialogue? Or why does John record it that he drops his name? And it's because Nicodemus is a type of person. It's because thousands of years later, in Dayton, Iowa, at Hidden Acres Christian Center, there would be a fall conference right here. And Jesus knows that this rogue preacher is going to teach about Jesus' conversation being face-to-face with Nicodemus. And some people in here very clearly will need to respond to this. That's what it means. So are you and Nicodemus similar? Are you an insider like he was? Maybe you grew up going to church every Sunday Sunday. You grew up reading the scriptures. You grew up memorizing the scriptures. You even have John three sixteen tattooed on your wrist. Or when I when I first became a Christian, there's a bunch of people in my uh, Bible study that got their inner lip tattooed. <laughs> it's kind of awesome. So that's an idea for you guys. <laughs> After the conference, okay? Yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> But from the outside looking in, you insider, you got everything pretty well covered. You look pretty good. Everyone tells you how much you have it together. Everyone tells you how much they want to emulate you. When people come to you, they come to you for spiritual wisdom, for your perspective on life, what to do in situations, what not to do. Externally, you look awesome. The way you carry yourself, you look so clean. But on the inside, you feel like this. <laughs> like a little dumpster fire. <laughs> and you probably even say that to yourself. People knew what's going on on the inside. They wouldn't be saying these things. And some of you may even more so identify with Nicodemus just seeking Jesus in the cover of night your parents or your friends they asked you what you're doing this weekend and you left them on read because you're like I don't want people to know that I'm at a Jesus conference over the weekend one of my first weekends of school I'm not going to tell them that plus I think that I have all these, all these things together I don't need to know or learn more about this stuff from all your spirits pursuits are you lacking like Nicodemus seemed to be A little bit spiritually discontented. And praise God you're here. Because this is what we're going to talk about tonight. So what's the message that Jesus has for this insider, Nicodemus? Go back to verse 3 and 4. But Jesus answered him, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's pretty wild. You can't see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus retorts, how can man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? This was not an honest question. <laughs> my son Max, he could get away with asking something like that, okay? Like Bo, when my wife was pregnant with Elle, he would look, at, like, to see, look up her shirt to see if he could see the baby, Silly to us. He was mocking Jesus. And Nicodemus was probably taken aback because Jesus started teaching him. But he wasn't used to anyone teaching him. Jesus, he didn't even ask a question to Jesus yet. He didn't ask him a question. He made a statement and Jesus responds. And I actually think that that if you look later in the text where it, where it uh, it talks, I think in verse 12, it talks about how can, how can I teach you, if you don't understand earthly things, okay, how salvation happens as a human, how can you understand heavenly things? See, I think that Nicodemus, when he was going to have a conversation with Jesus, I think that he was going to get to a question, hey, what happens after life? There's not a lot in our scriptures about what happens after life, what happens after life if you know these things. And Jesus catches him off guard. He's like, why are we going to talk about heaven? We need to talk about salvation. We need to, we need to draw this line for you, Nicodemus, because he's putting Nicodemus on the wrong side of the line, as you'll see. Nicodemus was used to be in charge of the conversation, and now his back's against the wall. So he mocks him, but Jesus doubles down. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water in the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Okay, something that gets lost in the English text is in verse 3, his you must be born again to see the kingdom of God is singular. You. And the you in verse 6 and 7, the you must be born again, is y'all. It's you all. It's you Pharisees. It's you insiders. He's broadening the audience. It's not just Nicodemus anymore. It includes the Pharisees in total. And what I hope that you're seeing, it just includes all insiders that think that they're in because they're Insiders. And this is vital to understand because the implication of remaining simply an insider or a Pharisee, the implication is that, verse 6, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. It's pretty bold of Jesus to judge Nicodemus like that. How does he know what's happening on the inside of the heart? Well, Jesus is God in the flesh, so he can judge those things. But he's drawing the line between heaven and hell. He's drawing the line between acceptance before God and rejection before God, which begs the question, what does it mean to be born again? Now, if you go to Walmart or something, there's one in Boone, you know, half an hour away. You could do this if you wanted, wanted to tonight, because they're probably open to really like, if you just rocked up to someone random in Walmart and said, "I'm a born again Christian," what's going to happen? You're going to get punched in the face. They're going to throw something at you. For real, every, they're going to be like, "This is so weird." Maybe it's a good tactic. It's like that's kind of weird. <clears throat> if they're a wrestler, they might spladle you. I learned that term today. It's a really painful <laughs> position. But Jesus says this is the line, born againness This is the line between acceptance and rejection. So we have to understand it. So let's dig into this. We must be born again. Jesus answered, verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. See, Jesus is defining born-again as being born of water and of Spirit. What does that mean? Many commentators agree that Jesus is pointing back Nicodemus, who is a teacher of the law, who when he hears water and spirit and life, something's going to click. Ezekiel 36. This is a passage. If you read it, it's the Valley of Dry Bones, where these bones, they're in this dry valley, and then God speaks life and gives these bones flesh and a new heart. And this is what Ezekiel 36 says. And he's pointing toward, Ezekiel, the prophet is pointing toward a time where this is going to be a reality. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all impurities and, you, and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will renew, remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. So, what is water? You must be born of water and the spirit. What is water? Water signifies purification. So, when it says, I'm going to sprinkle you clean with water, he's talking about, he's going to purify them, these dry bones. And spirit. Just in scriptures, it signifies new life or a breath or life. And simply put, to be born again of water and spirit, it's one birth. It's to have a cleansed new heart that's filled with a new spirit that Jesus is pointing Nicodemus back to. Look, it's there. It's not new. It's old. You should know this stuff. This is not a new teaching And in short, Jesus looks in the eye of the insider, Nicodemus. And if any of you, if you're like, "Ah, I think he might be talking to me. He says, you need a new heart. You need a fundamental change, not a change like changing your you're moving and, and moving from one dorm to another, but you have the same friends and the same class schedule and the same everything. It's, it's a fundamental change in nature. Like a, one day you're a cat and the next day you're a dolphin. Okay, one day everybody hates you. The next day everybody loves you. Cats, dolphins, right? <laughs> one day you're a cat and you lay down. And the next day you're a dolphin and you play. One day you hate water. The next day you love water. There's a fundamental change in the nature of these two different creatures. And that's more like the fundamental change that Jesus is talking about. A completely, completely new heart. And this is perplexing and offensive to the insider to the one who knows God, to the one who teaches people about the things of God, to this Pharisee, this ruler of Israel. Why do I need a new heart, Jesus? See, Jesus is, is exposing a huge flaw in the human heart. And this flaw is that we wanna do things for ourselves. Whatever we have, we want to achieve. The insider believes that they can achieve a right standing before God by how they live, by doing the right things, by living morally. And the, the biggest problem with moralism believing that we are right with God because of how we look externally to people is that it is not something that you can see on the outside. That's the insidious thing. Jesus is indicating not an external deficiency that you can spot with the eye. This is different than tomorrow morning what we're going to talk about with the woman at the well. Jesus is very clear. He's like, I, you can see this, this is an issue. But Jesus is talking about an internal deficiency. And this makes growing up an insider very 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 close to Christianity dangerous. Nicodemus grew up spiritually inclined On this track to become a Pharisee. And Jesus is having this conversation with him. Because moralism, human achievement, trying to earn our way to God. Only the person knows it in their heart. It's not something that you can really easily track on the outside. So it's my anniversary this weekend, tomorrow, actually, seven years. I already said that, but it's good for you guys to know. To <laughs> so know the pain that I'm going through. Um, my wife's going to be here tomorrow, so you can tell her happy anniversary and get her gifts and whatnot. <clears throat> <laughs> or me, you can give me gifts, too, if you want. And and yesterday, uh, I gave... Uh, my wife some flowers. They were, not, they were awesome, very cute. And um, actually, a, a couple other little gifts, little trinkets, they were also very nice. And uh, I just, I told her that I loved her. I told her I was really thankful for her. Uh, and I told her, um, I said, God has used you to change me. An incredible amount and I don't think that you know and understand how much of a reality that is and she melted a little bit and didn't really say anything but she probably what she wanted to say was thank you very much I love you very much I'm just imagining (laughs) maybe she was so taken aback that I said that I don't know but she smiled and you could tell she's very thankful And she gave me a kiss, so there's something, you know. (laughs) And to which I respond, don't worry, honey, it's my duty. I was completely motivated by a sense of commercial and cultural obligation. And for the years to come, you should expect me to get you some flowers on our anniversary because it's my duty. Okay, that did not happen, okay? I know you guys know that that didn't happen, or maybe you guys think I'm dumb. But that didn't happen. That didn't happen. Praise God that didn't happen. But simply operating out of an internal sense of obligation cuts at the joy of a loving relationship. It flips the relationship on its head. Head. instead of me giving flowers for her for her joy for her excitement to make her feel loved and for her to be feel valued if that was my idea what I'm actually doing is giving her something so that I can actually experience the benefit and return her saying that I'm a good husband or me feeling like I'm a good husband Worse yet, imagine if I operated my whole life with my wife out of a sense of duty. Maybe I didn't say those things to her, but that's actually how I was operating. Motivated completely by what I'm getting out of it. If, motiva- if that is the motivation in the relationship, purely for selfish gratification, in a love relationship, one or both will be left wanting. Okay, so human achievement. I hope I'm doing a good job of making a connection. Human achievement, trying to earn our own right standing before God, becomes all about doing the right things, the giving of the flowers, the saying of the kind words, for all of the wrong reasons. And it's gonna leave us wanting. Motivation is not everything, but it's it's a lot of it. It is about what we do. You know, if, if Nicodemus was an axe murderer, they'd be having a different conversation, but he's not externally, he's doing everything right. But Jesus is far more concerned about what's inside the heart. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, yes, no one can fault you externally, but I see the inside. I see how messed up. I see the dumpster fire inside. I see that it revolves around you, how you operate toward God, your, your love for God, your teaching of the people, your position as a Pharisee, your position as a ruler of the Jews. It's all about you. It's all about your acclaim. It's all about your accolades. It's all about what you can get out of it. It's not about me, you know, Jesus, being God. It's not, it wasn't about God at all. It was about him. I mean, isn't that why Nicodemus came to Jesus at night? Because he was trying to maintain some sort of reputation? You don't want people to know that he was lacking or he was seeking information from this rogue preacher? He's trying to maintain... This facade, this position. So, what does it mean? What does this concept mean in here tonight? It means that you could have left Manhattan, Kansas, or you could have left Des Moines, Iowa. You could have left Ames today with, with your friend. You said, We're going to drive to the fall conference together. You get in the car, you put Hidden Acres in the GPS, you listen to. I didn't hear, I just. Disney. You listen to Disney? Is that real? Wow. You listen to Disney? (laughs) I did not listen to Disney. I actually didn't listen to anything. Uh, Brian listened to me talk the whole entire way up. Brian Etzenhauser. (laughs) That's what we listen to. Okay, so some people listen to Disney. You jammed all the way here. You checked in. You walked to your seats. You lift up your song and you're listening now. And one of you, as you listen, are listening with a worshipful full heart, grat- graciously, gratefully thankful as you're being reminded of what Christ has done for you on the cross. And, and quite possibly, one of you is worshiping yourself. Same actions. You had the same day. You did the same things. And one of you Is worshiping yourself. Motivated by trying to prove to yourself and to others and to God that you love God first. And if you're here and you think that the Lord is speaking to you in this, praise God. That's awesome. And you must be asking Well, how do I gain a new heart? How can I be born again? And I'm glad you asked. Because we need to talk about the true insider, the real insider, Jesus Christ. So Nicodemus doesn't know this at the time, but he's dialoguing with the true insider. Jesus Christ, God, became man. So if anyone knows the realities of heaven and hell, if anyone knows the, 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 what it looks like, what the dividing line between heaven and hell is, it's going to be Jesus. And here's his answer. Verse 14 and 15. And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Okay, Jesus, snakes and Moses. What do Moses and snakes have anything to do with eternal life? And as we'll see, Jesus is pretty good at answering these questions because it has everything to do with eternal life. So imagine you're an Israelite, you've been wandering the desert for 20 years in the wilderness. You're miserable with all your other miserable Israelites, kind of complaining. And all of a sudden, you and all your friends, this starts to happen. Numbers 21, 6 through 9. And the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and they bit them so that many Israelites died. Okay. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord so that he will take the snakes away from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake image mounted on a pole. When anyone who's bitten looks at it, he will recover. So Moses made a bronze snake and mounted it on a pole. Whenever someone was bitten, he looked at the bronze snake and he recovered. This is a very weird solution that the Lord has given to us, or to these people. Just look up. Look at this snake. Which ironically, like in, in the Genesis story, is, is a picture of sin and death. So, so The Israelites are like, a snake? Moses, are you, are you sure? I mean, we just got in trouble for the golden calf thing. We'd, should we be looking to this bronze snake? He says, yes. He says, just look up. And, and what the Israelites have to do to look up. So it says, whoever, whoever was bitten, he looked up at the bronze snake and he recovered. So in looking up, the act of looking up, they were rejecting as a people any other attempts any other human attempt to heal their wounds. God is saying, I'm the only one that can heal you. You must reject your own ability to heal yourselves, and you must look up at this bronze serpent. Do you think that some of these people rejected Moses' solution? I mean, it's a very simple solution. You need to look up. But they're kind of annoyed. It's like, God, why can't you just heal us? Why do we have to look up at this stupid snake? I'm sure some people were at least tempted to say, no way. This is ridiculous. But here's the point that Jesus makes. All human attempts for Israelites to be healed by snake bites are in vain. Just like... All human effort to attain salvation, to attain a new heart, to be made right with God, to be born again, they are all insufficient. They will lead to death, like jumping off the Empire State Building. It does not matter how fast you flap your wings, you will splat. You will die. And same as every other attempt as a human, in human effort to attain salvation, the Lord tells the Israelites, look up to live. Stop looking at your own human abilities. You must trust me and look to this serpent. And Jesus tells the insider, look up. Look up. So where are we looking to? Where does the insider, where, where must the insider look to if eternally... If eternity rests on looking up at something, where are they looking to? And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. He says, insiders, look up. Where? Where? To Jesus Christ, the true and better insider that was lifted up on the cross, look to him. This has become, just as of today, my most favorite definition of belief. What does it mean to believe? Because for God so loved the world that he gave his one only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. My new answer is going to be, you must look up What does it mean? You must reject, totally reject, your own ability to attain right standing before God. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, uh, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will see the kingdom of God. Some of the same language that he's using here. To hunger and thirst for righteousness means you don't have uh, righteousness in and of yourself. You must have a righteousness that comes from outside yourself. This is what Jesus Jesus is talking about. To believe means to look up, means to reject any righteousness that you think that you could attain before God and look to the Savior. Look to Jesus Christ who's from heaven. So he knows the way. And he's from God. That's what we learn in verse 15. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. It was a title from the book of Daniel about the Son of Man who was going to rule and reign. The Son of Man is a title showing that Jesus is from heaven, that he's from God. Look to Jesus Christ, who's completely righteous. A righteousness that Nicodemus could never even fathom on his own. We learn this in verse 18, that Jesus was perfect. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. What does the only Son of God mean? Well, Son of Man speaks to his deity. And being a Son of God speaks to his humanity. How did he operate as a human? See, the Pharisees, they claimed to be sons of Abraham. Who they were trying to image was Abraham. Who they were trying to trust is Abraham. What about Jesus? John says Jesus is the only son of God. Well, what does that mean? He images God. Well, what does that mean? It means that the laws, the commands of God, Jesus fully and completely Completed. Perfectly. Son of God. The only one that can actually truly identify with God. Complete obedience. And he paid for the sins for everyone who believes, for everyone who looks up. He was nailed to the cross and lifted up. And whoever looks to him is born again. The direct translation of born again is born from above. To be born again, you must look above. So insider, look up. Tonight, look up. Sprint. Campus Fellowship is a student organization designed to come alongside local churches to reach college campuses. If you found this encouraging, we invite you to subscribe or follow for more content, or go to our website, campusfellowship.com, for other resources. Thanks for listening.